The Game Podcast is proudly sponsored by StarCityGames.com, where you can read all of my content and more on SCG Premium. Star City currently has every single card from Ixalan in stock and ready to order. SCG Dallas is the weekend after the pre-release and will be the first big feature of Ixalan Standard. Hey everyone, welcome to the 48th episode of the Game Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Thompson. Here with me is Brian Gottlieb. We have a top 10 list for Ixalan, but first, uh, I just want to give a shout out to a friend of mine who passed away. His name's Gadiel Slifer. People who have not been playing Magic for, you know, the 15 years that I have may not remember him, but he was incredible. He was just one of those people who, no matter what he decided to do with his life, like, I knew that he would succeed, and he killed it at Magic. I believe he has three Pro Tour top eights, including a win, and he was one of the people who challenged Japan during their dominance in, like, the, the mid-2000s and stuff, and he he was a good dude, and I'm going to miss him a lot. So that's all I really have to say about that. I just want to honor him in whatever way that I could and just hug your loved ones tonight. That's all I got to say. I didn't get the pleasure of knowing Gadiel, but the people who I hold in really high regard hold him in the highest possible regard. I've never heard any of my good friends say a bad word about him. I know he inspired a lot of people. I I don't have the same connection you did. I'm very sorry for your loss, but props to one of Magic's own, one of Magic's true characters, a great player and a great person from all I hear. Yeah, definitely a character. Anyway, kind of odd to shift from that to talking about Magic, but here we go. So He would have been happy about that, so that's fine. (laughs) Uh, his his relationship with magic was a little odd, actually. Yeah. But That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so one one quick story. I remember when I first started writing for Star City, it was like 2008, right before Pro Tour Hollywood. And my article goes up and like, I didn't tell anyone, you know, like I didn't announce the world. There wasn't like social media or anything, but like my article goes up, he goes to the website, sees it, and then just like immediately messages me. And like, it was clear that he had read the article, but he, he was still just like making fun of me. It, it was, yeah, it was just one of those things where it's like, he loved magic, it challenged him, he kind of conquered it, and then he moved on. Respect to that. I mean, I if I, I don't think I ever will conquer it to that the degree that he did, but if I do, I mean, that's kind of a cool way to go out. You go out on top as one of the best uh, of your time period and, and make peace with the game and move on. Word. So this week, we are going to go 10 to 1, as opposed to my 1 to 10, which <laughs> I, th- I think you like more, correct? Yes, if if this is my one contribution to the the game podcast that lasts throughout time, I'm I'm happy I have converted you to the ten to one method of doing top ten lists. It's it didn't seem like a hard sell. I thought it was just like the way to do it. But I, I'm glad I've I've gotten through to you, and and we're now on the ten to one method. Look, man, it it's one of those things that I didn't actively think about, and then once you force me to actually think about it, it's like, oh yeah, you are right. So. Oh, yeah. Every top 10 list I've ever seen my entire life has operated this way. I'm glad I'm now on board with this. <laughs> and yeah, see, now that I think about it, it's like, oh, yeah. But like, don't you want to just get to the good stuff first? Uh, I do. I'm excited to talk about the, the best stuff. But there's there's good stuff going all the way back to 10 for this set. Interesting stuff all around. So It is. Yeah. Like I, a lot of the, the cards that I have grouped here are obviously tribe affiliated and... For some of them, it's just kind of like, yeah, this this is the best of them, but it's like also the other cards. Like, I, I think Dinosaurs is the clear favorite to to show up in week one, and the like a lot of the cards in the Dinosaur deck would just be like littered in the top ten if I didn't just like group them all together. So 
That's a fine yeah. way to approach it. I understand what you're doing there. But yeah, the set has a lot of hits. So uh, let's start with your number 10, which didn't even make my list, although I'm coming around on vampires. All right. So your Me number too. 10 is Me too. Your, your, your number 10 is Legion's Landing. Yeah, I you know, the card text speaks for itself in a lot of ways. It's it's one of the few of these legendary enchantments that kind of is okay in multiples. Obviously, you don't you're not looking to draw four of these over the course of the game, but you get some value out of them either way. I'm starting to get a picture of what the vampire deck looks like. I think we got a pretty key two drop for the deck in the the one one that's able to go indestructible and become a three one when it attacks. That was kind of a missing piece that we only got late. I'm blanking on its name right now. I'll, I'll let you fill that in while I talk a little bit more. A Danto Vanguard, something like that. I believe that's it. Yeah. Um, I, I think that was actually a, you know, a small but important piece of the puzzle for vampires. And I do see the synergies of that deck starting to come together. I think it's an aggressive deck that attacks in a very interesting way. And Legion's Landing is just like a fine card in that deck. It gives the deck some staying power, uh, a little bit of ramp, a little bit of, of late game reach, just just everything the deck wants. It's very much a go wide deck to the point where I'm even thinking about a card like Throne of the God Pharaoh in my vampires list. One of my friends suggested that to me and I was like, oh, that's actually maybe exactly what this deck wants. Okay, that's um, interesting. Uh, yeah. So I was looking at vampire decks. Oketra's Monument came to mind because there's enough white vampires, I think, to actually fill the deck out. And once I had Monument, and like you said, the, the tribe is just naturally pretty go wide with a lot of tokens, I was looking for Anthems, and there's just like nothing really except for Sheffit Dunes and like Angel of Invention. I think those were the only two that I really found that looked good. Yeah, you can go Metallic Mimic as well with the Tribal Synergy, but uh, sure. I, I'm actually not crazy about that here. I, I think it's a little... I, I mean, we have good memories of Metallic Mimic because of its inclusion in Zombies, where it was ultra-powerful. I think it's much worse in, in this context, where th without other lords, you know, just tons of lords all over the place. Um, so I'm a little less interested in Metallic Mimic here, but you're, you're right, there aren't a ton of Anthems, and I do think that maybe Throne of the God Pharaoh is able to kind of play that role a little bit. We'll have to see. That's a card that has kind of floated on the the fringes of playability in my eyes. I, I think it's close. Maybe this is finally the home for it. So Modern All-Star Throne of the God Pharaoh, I would like to point out. All-Star might be pushing it, but it has made occasional appearances in Modern. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's got the power level in the right context. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, Legion's Landing is just a card that is also good outside of Vampires. Like, we are down a three-bin inspector, so Mardu is lacking in one drops, and I think this is a pretty serviceable one drop. Um, yeah, I think I think you're right about that, and it has its homes. I would be very surprised if this card just goes the length of the format scene, no play. It does too many powerful things, and is such a unique effect while just being like fine on its front side. So yeah, Legion's Landing will will see some play. You know, I didn't push it up into the range of the format definers. I don't quite see that happening. But if Vampires gets a little bit better, maybe that will be the case. I also think this card has some interesting synergies as just a token producer. And uh, there's some cards coming up later on in my list that kind of might throw back to this card. Word. The, the fact that it becomes a land, too, is so great. Because it's like you're getting a token and a mana source, which is really generous for just one mana. And then that makes things like off-tribe Angel of Invention more reasonable like you can play a lower land count while also having this mid game which i really like yeah i think i think this card's going to flip a lot in these decks and uh like, night, you... night of the white orchid i miss that card mm. i'm not saying well, this is i'm not saying this is the same thing no no but, but i see the similarities i see what you're saying and it operates good. on a similar axis yeah for sure so my 10 is a card that you didn't even know existed by name 
Nope, I had to look <laughs> which, this one up. Which is okay. Uh, it is Herald of Secret Stream, so the 3U... Oh, 2-3 Merfolk. I thought it was a 2-2. That's even better. Even better. Uh, creatures you control with a plus one, plus one counter... Or creatures you control with plus one, plus one counters on them can't be blocked, so... Uh, Merfolk has a lot of that going on with Explore and some various other things. Metallic Mimic is another card that jumps to mind, but I think you might also just play this in black green and just like Verdurous Gear Hulk. It, like that card already made blocking very difficult, but this card actually just ends the game instead of like putting you in a good position, right? Because it's like you can be behind on board or like with, with pirates, uh, having evasion and maybe merfolk having evasion too. And vampires having a lot of chump blockers and there being like glory bringers and assorted flyers in the format. Like I think unblockable is just very good. I see what you're saying. Uh, it's not really that like, like I said, I, I did have to look this card up when you said Herald of the Secret Streams. And it's not that I don't think this is constructed playable. It's just like a little unassuming on its face, I think. You know, on its own, it's a pretty bad card. If you just play this card, you're certainly not getting your money's worth. But you're right that there's certainly a lot of plus one, plus one synergies out there. The stretch to blue for the green black deck has me a little concerned. I don't know if that can just be your default build, but... Then you get access to something like the Scarab God. And also those decks seem to be, the green-black deck is trending a little bit back towards energy at this point, which means you're prob probably playing a tune anyway, making blue much easier. So maybe, maybe this is a card that cracks into those, those black-green lists. And I think its impact in Merfolk is a set behind. I, I just don't think Merfolk as a tribe are there in this set. You know, we said that about vampires as well, and I've come around on that. I haven't come around on Merfolk yet. I don't see what the Merfolk deck exactly looks like, but I do agree that this card is uh, is certainly a constructed playable card. Well, on the topic of Merfolk, Metallic Mimic is another thing that I think a lot of people miss and it has a lot of synergy with Herald. I, I don't know. I, I built the, like, the growing rights of Itlamok, Trishana, like, kind of go wide elves-ish merfolk deck and like played some games with it and it was it was fine it's okay uh but i do think that maybe just like playing four gear hulks and four heralds might be uh, a better way to go and nick petternell i believe is his name i might be butchering it uh he commented on my article and he's generally at the forefront of technology for standard and he's i believe uh, a reddit dude but he talked about how he just had four shaper sanctuary in his deck I don't know what Shaper Sanctuary is. Why am I blanking it's, on it's, that card right now? It's the G enchantment that it it reads like a sideboard card uh, that like people would get tricked into playing their in their decks like a long time ago and like mm -hmm. would actually just end up being not very good. Uh, but it, it's like whenever uh, one of your creatures is targeted by a spell or or ability, which is relevant with Ballista, you can draw a card. Yeah, I think this card is quite good actually. I I hadn't gone as far as having four in my main deck. That seems pretty crazy. But I, I do think this is a very playable sideboard card, would be my first instinct. Uh, very interesting that he's gone so hard on it. Uh, I think he just thinks that it's good against base, like, maybe not good against everyone, but, like, it helps in a, in a lot of situations against a lot of people. And I think Ballista is going to be super popular. That does seem to be what the format's kind of about right now, is just creatures and controlling the board. And in, in that, that kind of context, this card looks very powerful. You know, multiples make the game very different. You kind of can't play the way you thought you were going to be playing at that point. You know, we haven't really seen too many lists pointing towards sweepers at this point. Um, so yeah, I, I think this is a fine card. I don't know if I'm ready to go that hard on it yet, but I'll have to give it some extra thought now if he's finding success with that kind of list. 
Yeah, uh, he actually posted his list, too, in the comments section of my article last week. So if people want to check that out, go Look ahead. That. Not only are your articles defining the metagame, your comment sections are now defining the metagame in standard. <laughs> I'm fine with that. That's you, cool. have the, you have the only good comment sections on the internet. You know how they say don't read the comments? You're the one exception right now. Well, I would not say that my comment section is all good stuff. <laughs> that is just not true. But. Those are unrealistic expectations. There's no such thing as a comment section completely filled with good stuff. Oh, yeah. So number nine for you, you have Charter Course. Yeah, this is kind of a, a little unassuming card. But if you just look at the rate, it speaks for itself. I, I don't think I need to say a ton about it, honestly. It's like two mana to get two cards. That's well above rate. Um, that's, that pushes into the realm of modern playability. You see cards like Night Whisper, Knight's Whisper, things like that. So the discard is obviously a downside in most decks. Some decks it's an upside, and you'll be very happy playing this card. It's kind of a, a cleaner, uh, not cathartic reunion, but the smaller one. Again, whose name... I'm so horrible with the names of magic cards. I know every magic card. Voice? Yeah, Tormenting Voice. I know every magic card. I just don't know their names. Like I, I more feel them than uh, actually know what to call them but yeah in a lot of decks chart of course is going to be better than tormenting voice uh because the discard isn't part of the cost and it's after I, you draw yep it's after you draw a, a lot of a lot of differentials here and that card was already very playable as we know it's certainly seen play in its time and standard but this card kind of takes it to the next level a lot of times you're not even discarding i don't know that every blue deck starts with four of these i i do think that like I don't see this being an auto-include in control decks necessarily, but there might be one or two copies even in a dedicated control deck. It's just such a good rate. Like It feels like a card that's kind of like, we've gotten very used to three mana being the cost for two cards. I think we've just accepted that. That's the way modern magic is. And this is breaking that rule, and it, it's going to see play as a result. It's not the type of card that archetypes are built around, but it gives... All these blue aggressive decks a little shot in the arm. I think it makes things like blue black pirates and maybe mono blue skies possible. Like those decks can exist because a card like this is around. Yeah, absolutely. It, this this card is very good in the God Pharaoh's gift decks too. Yes. Yeah. I mean, like the deck was already playing tormenting voice. As I discussed, this is a better version. Right. And yeah, like you said, I think this helps like the small creature decks out a lot where their card quality might be lower on average than. You know, just think of like Skyrim Sci Tamer or Siren Sky Tamer against uh, like Teamer, for example. It's just like Teamer would not be caught dead playing a card like that, but because the pirate deck has chart of course, like you can actually compete with them because you're probably going to outdraw them. And exactly. I agree that maybe not every deck is going to start with four of these, but like even for things like Teamer, it's just like, is it bad to like play two of this card? Like this this card is really nice. And like Teamer has flood issues. Like they towed this fine line between wanting to play the cycling lands because they flood, because they have Rogue Refiner and a tune with Aether and all these mana sources while also having like a fairly large top end. But you have no way to like really filter things. Like the, the front end of Champion of Wits just ends up being like just bad enough that you don't play it. But I think Charter Course is so good on average that, like, you're just going to see this popping up in a lot of decks. And that's even outside of, like, Graveyard Synergies. Like, th this is a way to, like, fuel Liliana Death's Majesty, for example. Yep. Very nice way there. I mean, Blue Black Reanimator was already on the cusp of being a completely viable deck. 
this might actually be the thing that pushes it to the next level. You know, they were relying on Oath of Jace before. Oath of Jace was, like, good, but very clunky. Three mana was a ton, and you also wanted to play Champion of Wits on your three mana turn. So now going two mana Charter Course, three mana Champion of Wits for that deck is going to get you a ton of card selection, uh, a ton of gas in your graveyard. Yeah, this is this is an impactful card, no doubt. I, I think this will see wide play. And it's an interesting mention for Teamer. You know, Teamer lists I've seen people floating aren't playing this card. You know, this could be, like... A lot of times where there's an existing deck going into the the Pro Tour, the, the version that breaks out kind of like finds this little techie card where it's not really doing anything different. You're still keeping the core of the deck intact, but you found this little point of power that everyone else missed on, and now you have the best deck. Well, Chart of Course and Teamer might be exactly that type of card where even if you maybe max it, you might just end up with a better deck than your opponents. You know, we see cards like Glorybringer getting a little bit worse right now. So you trim a Glorybringer here, you trim a Warlord Virtuoso there, you end up with a couple Chart of Course, and all of a sudden you have the best deck for the tournament. Yeah. It seems very plausible to me. Yep. Also, my number nine is Opt. I have Chart of Course... On my list, it is much higher than yours because, <laughs> I don't know, I, th I think this card is just going to show up in a lot of places. But, like, Opt together with Charter Course is just the, the foundation for, like, a very low land count, high-velocity blue deck. And I think there are a lot of different ways to go with that. I don't have Opt on my list. I Heresy. know what you're saying. I know. I, I, it's, it's going to see play. It's, it's a very playable card. It's going to reach back to modern, certainly. I just think that it's, like, it's, it's not going to be included in every deck. Um, like you're not playing that card in Teamer, so it's like if I if I'm putting Charter Course at nine, I can't really have Opt any higher than that. And I just think there's other more powerful cards in the set. I have a couple things rated higher than you, but uh, Opt is definitely going to make an impact in the format. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I don't know. Like I haven't had Opt in my first uh, drafts of Pirates or anything, but it it would not be that crazy to me to just build like an 18 land pirate deck. Like I do think that that sort of thing can be done. And that's like the sort of consistency that, you know, just takes your deck from like being okay to like being really good. You know, if like you actually get to play a bunch of ops and charter courses and just never flood out. Yeah, I wanna, I wanna get paid for my spells though when I'm playing stuff like Dopt. And actually I, I think you kind of, you know, you were a little at least in your presentation of this deck, you were a bit dismissive of it. But something like the blue-green spells deck with the cryptic serpent that you had at the end of your list that you wrote last yeah. last week, I, I think that deck's probably pretty good. And in a deck like that, like Opt makes those decks possible. And things like blue-red prowess are, are now going to be much more possible. You know, riddle form style decks. All those decks are hyper-reliant on a card like Opt existing. And, you know, there's things like Crash Through and a lot of cheap one-mana cantrips that are very reasonable now. And maybe even reaching a critical mass of one-mana cantrips to make those kind of decks completely viable and, and maybe even overpowered. Because when those decks are good, they're very good. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe Dynavolt Tower is just way better now, too. Could be. That, uh, yeah, there's, there's a ton of cantrips, a ton of card selection. I could see Dynavolt Towers you know, moving up its place in the format. There's still a braid out there. I don't want to mention a braid every time we talk about an artifact, but you do have to consider it. Yeah, of course, of course. But I, Tower is, when we talk about control shells, it's generally like approach, right? Like that's the thing that people are kind of expecting to see play. But like Dynavolt Tower is another deck that's typically teamer. Uh, I can see a few different ways you could take it, but it's like you play Tower alongside some main deck sweeper, generally like Sweltering Suns or whatever, and that's a kind of angle of attack that not a lot of decks are, are ready for. Like you said, like, you know, if people are playing sweepers, they have like Fumigate or something, right? Like people are not ready for like a three mana 
free damage sweeper out of game one, right? So Tower could actually be really good. Yeah, I think Tower does something interesting. My problem is that I'm concerned about control decks that are going to rely on damage as their removal source based on other cards we're going to be talking about later on in our list, I have a feeling. So that's, maybe we that's can address legit. that then. Black, I guess, is the best way to do it. So probably, well, blue, black, something. Maybe Sultana. Yeah. I guess yeah. like, all, all those lists just always splash for a tune, which is okay. Yeah, once you have Dynavolt Tower, you probably have to have a tune around. But I, I don't really object to some kind of Sultai Dynavolt Tower deck. That could be completely reasonable. You're able to pressure uh, in, a, in a few directions. You you have Scarab God access. You have clean answers to things like Hazaret and, you know, Ripjaw Raptor. All those things now you have access to uh, in the form of black removal. So, yeah, I would explore that list. That sounds pretty promising to me. If you're Sultai and... Uh, you have enough green sources you could play Ripjaw Raptor and just kind of go off with Dynavolt Tower. Ooh, I like it. I mean, that that might be pretty bad, but it gives... Oh, no, that's, that's exactly my style. Like, just hyper grindy, sit there and Dynavolt Tower your Ripjaw Raptor every turn. Man, that sounds like exactly what I want to be doing. Oh, yeah. All right, so your number eight is Jace. It is, but I don't know where Jace is going yet. I just think it has, like... Its upside is really high. I think that for Jace to succeed, it's going to have to find a home in a Heart of Kirin deck. I really think that's the correct home for Jace right now. You know, I've been thinking a little bit about Heart of Kirin's place in this format. You know, is there a Mardu Vehicles deck anymore? Or is it like red-white vehicles, black-white vehicles? I think that Heart of Kirin is going to be most at home where he can play the best three-mana Planeswalker. I actually don't know if it's Jace or Gideon. You know, we were spoiled by having the other Gideon, but I, I think Gideon in, in small Gideon, three mana Gideon in Mardu Vehicles might just be a fine replacement, actually. It's weird, too, because now you can, like, actually curve Gideon into Chandra, whereas before you couldn't... You wanted to play four mana Gideon over Chandra for sure, right? So, like, yes. you couldn't curve Planeswalkers on three and four, but now you can in a bunch of different ways. Yeah, and, and having a deck that presents, you, you know, let's talk about the threat diversity there. You have Heart of Kirin, you still have your Toolcraft Exemplars, you have Gideon, you have Chandra. Those are very difficult cards to deal with that are attacking from very strange angles, and you're still really pressuring life totals. And I think that beyond just Gideon-Chandra combinations, I think, I think there are Gideon-Jace decks where... They're both, you know, they're, you're filling multiple ways of hitting your three mana Planeswalkers because the blue-white mana base is good enough to support that. I don't know. I think there's some kind of, like, disruptive-y aggro deck that's going to be able to use Jace to its fullest. If not, it's certainly going to find home as a fine sideboard card, pressuring control decks, just getting a little ex- extra value out of decks that can't answer him well. He's, he's going to find a home in this format. I just don't know if he has the potential to be a format definer right now. I I haven't found the perfect place for him. I think Jace is great. Jace did not make my top 10, which might be surprising considering how high I was on Jace. But like, I I do think it is a great card. But like you said, it's just really difficult to actually conceptualize a home for that card right now. I I do think that it's just going to be like very obvious in the first two weeks though. Yeah, my rating is based on potential. He's, he's like a good prospect. He's like that draft pick. Not I know you're not a sports guy, but he's like the draft pick, the guy you pick out of high school because you think he's going to no, man. just I be a star. I understand draft picks. Also, before there was magic in my life, I, I like followed a lot of sports and collected like a lot of sports cards. Yeah, I'm not a sports guy now either. I, I only have like my outdated knowledge. So like I would make this analogy about Jace that sometimes you get a LeBron James and sometimes you get a Darko Milicek. There's probably a much more current version of that analogy, but like I have to go back a little bit for my sports knowledge. 
I don't know. We'll we'll see. We'll have to see where the format puts Jace at the end. But I think he's got the potential to be a LeBron James of this format. Word. My number eight is Search for Ozkanta. You have this a little higher on your list at number five, which mm-hmm. I think is showing our biases a little bit. What are you saying? Are you saying I like to sit around and do nothing and, and play cards that don't affect the board and wait 20 turns until I get my value out of them? Yes, but also I think that I am just super low on those strategies. Like, back in the day, if you were like, oh, this aggro deck is the best deck, I'd be like, yeah, but... And then I would, like, come up with some reason to not play it. And it's like that for me now with Control, or, like, at least these, like, slow, ponderous decks. Search is another card that kind of fits into, like, the opt chart of course paradigm for me, where it's just giving you a lot of selection, especially, like, on the back end, too. Yeah, I think if, like, if, if this land just existed like the backside just existed we would have lost our collective minds over it right oh, yeah like you're just absolutely mind blown well when you look at the front side and see that as an effect that you are interested in obviously it is it quite worth two mo- two mana no um but when you're also stapling a ramp spell onto it now it very quickly becomes worth two mana and i just think this is like you know that kind of dirtily control deck that doesn't do anything for 15 turns hasn't been viable in a while I think this is a piece that might make that style of deck viable. Yeah, worth noting, it is, you may reveal a non-creature, non-land card, so you can actually find Dynavolt Tower with this. Oh, yeah. Wow, that's pretty good. That's dope. Yeah. Before, it was just like, oh, I can only find, like, answers to things, like counter spells or removal spells, but you can now actually you can find, find a threat with threats. this. Yeah. yeah. I've already written down six things since we started this conversation, and we're just, like, not even close to being done with our top tens like i got some brewing to do yeah you know what actually i mean let's seg you for a second if you don't mind people kind of like snapped on this set this week and were very dismissive of it and i honestly don't know where that's coming from like do i think that teamer and mono red are probably like the default day one decks yes absolutely but there's so many tools here so many interesting things to explore i don't understand it's my perception of like just basically the narrative that people were presenting this past week was that this was not an exciting set. I don't feel that way at all. I think this is still a very exciting set. I think Dinosaurs probably beats both Teamer and Mono Red. So, so you've already solved it. You're already past that week one stage. So, you know, you obviously are on board with what I'm saying. But I don't know. I don't know why people just soured on this set out of, out of nowhere this week. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. And it was just like a bubble thing where I was listening to too many people who were like, this set is just a commander set. But I kept hearing that over and over over the last week. And I honestly don't know where it's coming from. There's interesting stuff here. If, if, you're, if you're not seeing it, you're probably not trying hard enough. Yeah, I mean, there, there's stuff for both. And there's also things like Vance's Blasting Cannons, which I guess now that I remember that that's a card, probably should have made my list. <laughs> but uh, there's there's like that and Charter Course, and it's like even trying to figure out where those are going to fit into existing decks is like still fine with me. And then there is like a bunch of weirdo sideways stuff. There are like four tribes to build around. Like there's nothing wrong with this set. Like this set is, I don't know, it's certainly more exciting to me than like Hour of Devastation. Yeah, and and by the end, I think we got pretty excited about that set too, so... It's just, it's always how it goes, man. Like, everyone yeah. is, is really dismissive until they actually see, like, the decks with the cards, and they have a reason to believe in those decks, right? It's like, I can post deck lists all day long using cards from the new set, but people are like, yeah, but, like, go win a tournament with it. And it's like, okay, well, I can't do that. You're yeah, just you haven't given to me a tr- chance yet. You're, you're just going to have to trust me for right now. I found that generally, like, my list before tournament or before, yeah, like, week one of a new format are, are generally pretty weak. 
So I don't blame people for that, but it's just like, you know, I'm I'm on to some stuff. I'm not going to get it 100% right, but it's like with the the million other monkeys at typewriters out there, like they're going to they're going to figure it out. Yeah, there's a bunch of strategies already I'm very interested in and that I think can absolutely compete in this format. So if you're surrounding yourself with people with that kind of approach to the format, I don't think they're doing a lot for you as a magic player. It is good to be skeptical. It is good to have a, a burden of proof and not to just get overly excited about everything. But, uh, you know, when you get this many new powerful cards, especially ones that are difficult to really understand in the flip cards... We've never seen anything like them before. I don't think anyone has really a full conception of what they're capable of, how powerful they are at this stage in the game. There's time. There'll be good decks coming out of this set for sure. I used to be super dismissive in my younger days. Like, I would oh, go, me too. I would go through a spoiler, and part, part of my problem was I would look at all the cards and I'd be like, yeah, I don't I don't understand where any of these fit. So then I would just be like, therefore, they're bad. Because if, if I don't immediately understand, then... They, they have to be bad, right? Because, like, what's the other alternative? The alternative is, I don't get it. And it took me a while to learn that. And now, uh, it's, like, one of the reasons why I liked working with Major so much is that he was, like, very big picture. And he's just like, okay, this card is cool. It doesn't fit into anything that I can see right now. But, but like, what would it take for it to fit somewhere? And, like, what would that deck look like? And then he would just, like, set out to find it, you know? And I, I feel like a lot of people just in general, are pretty dismissive. And I, I, I think that number is, like, incredibly high. So I don't blame them. Like, everyone has basically the same reaction every time. But it's like you're missing out on a lot of stuff by by having that attitude and that mindset. Yeah, and, and that's not even mentioning the fact that even where these cards, you know, don't prove to be good right now, you've already thought about them a little bit, right? So you have a head start when the next set comes out and you find a synergy because you've already spent time exploring, you know, Jace builds and exploring um, your Legion, Legion's Landings build. And, and you know that, oh, this card is, you know, on its face powerful. It just doesn't have the right spot right now. Mm-hmm. Well, now that you've discovered that, when the right spot pops up, you're much more apt to identify it, I think. so. Definitely. And I think that back in the day, that might have been more valuable because... Like, when it wasn't my job, right? Like, if I could show up to, like, a tournament like States, like, old school States, and have, like, a sweet deck, then that'd be awesome. And, like, granted, States was, like, pretty low stakes, but these days it's like I just share everything I have anyway, so it's like, cool, maybe my content is a little bit better than everyone else's, but, you know, for the most part, I'm not really getting a whole lot out of it, I guess. Like, just, like, feeling good that I'm ahead of the curve, which is, I guess, fine, but... Yeah, I think the context has changed a little bit with, you know, just the amount of writing and information there is now, too. At some point, you're not as incentivized to find it because you can kind of just be like, oh, someone will find it eventually. Uh, And there are people that approach magic that way and who do just fine. So if you want to be one of those guys, you can be. But for me, this is the stuff I like doing. So we're going to keep doing it. Yeah, same. And and part of the reason why... I've I've focused so much on doing this stuff is that like I want to learn how to do it like this is one of the things that I've just been historically pretty weak at you know it's like not only the pro tours themselves but also just like to make my content better like I would love to just like look at a set and be able to see what major sees you know yeah yeah I think that um this is the way to do that we'll we'll keep talking about these cards that may not find a home but not dismissing them off off the cuff right just in practice that's it you know just Mm -hmm. like continually trying to work on my evaluation skills and every time a new set comes out that's a chance for me to do that so this is this is the greatest time of year where i agree i I love new sets nothing gets me more excited than a new magic set one of one of the four greatest times of year i guess Mm. uh so you had jace i had search number seven for you 
Growing rights of Itlamok. Putting this out there kind of on the same plane as Jace. I don't have the home right now, but this along with the next card I'll talk about are something. And I don't know what, but I'm going to find it. And they strike me as the the most broken thing you could be doing possibly in the format. But let's hear about your number seven and I'll get back to growing rights when I get to my number six. My number seven is boring, man. Mine is hostage taker. I wouldn't call that card boring. Where do you see hostage taker fitting into the format? I see hostage taker in a pirate deck, which should probably not be surprising. But if you play black green winding constrictor, you play some Herald of Secret Streams. I, I honestly think that there's a reason that this card costs three U and not like two UU for Herald. Like I, I think it is meant to like go in other decks because it, it just seems like such an odd card to only have one C in its casting cost. But like once you're playing blue in your black green deck, like the removal's not great. You have fatal push, not a lot of activators. You have walk the plank, which is not ideal. But like you can play hostage taker in that deck too. Yes, you can. And I like hostage taker along with another one of my favorite blue black cards right now, Scarab God. It's a very nice target to return in that case. I feel like you kind of lock out the game when you get. I mean, basically Scarab God and anything locks out the game, but he does it particularly hard with Hostage Shaker. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. And like that's another thing. Maybe your green black deck should play host or play uh, the Scarab God with your Hostage Takers. Sure. Very possible. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of good blue black cards right now for whatever reason. Yeah, I didn't have this card on my list. I do think it's very good. This kind of got put out for me for not having a home, which isn't fair, but I don't see it on the same level as something like Jace or Growing Rights, where if they find a home, it'll just be kind of this broken thing. Like Hostage Taker can always just be like a very good value card. And I think it is a very good value card, but I think it's less format defining than some of the other cards I talked about. That's why I didn't make my list. I don't know, man. We haven't had like a really good FTK in a while. There's like Fairgrounds Warden and stuff, but like also in, in late game situations, if you ever get to play this and immediately play your thing or play the thing off of it, like it's so sick. Yeah, I think that's actually going to be a huge portion of, of this card's value is just that in, insane late game play. I see some number of these being included in like blue black control for that reason. It's just like a pretty safe one of in that deck, I think, and you'll be very happy to see it most of the time. And again, those decks already play Scarab God, so you get paid in the late game and you can even discard your hostage shaker. It's not good and get it later with Scarab God. So pl plenty of options there. This could also be, you know, I mentioned blue black reanimator before this might be a key card in that archetype actually as far as kind of bridging the gap between those early turns until you get to liliana yeah i could see hostage taker doing very well in that role and maybe even as far as a four of in that kind of deck where you're you know a little creature heavy and you're very incentivized to control the board a little bit and then liliana back a hostage taker i i think you're probably in pretty good shape what if you hostage taker your own champion of wits and then trade off the hostage taker that seems pretty good to me. That's not bad. So Yeah, I, that might come up. Back to the reanimator thing. Uh, when we were talking about Jace, I was looking at Boneyard Parlay because it's right next to it on Mythic Spoiler. Mm, that's, and is that seven mana? It is seven, but like you get you get a lot of stuff. You do. So the those decks played Ever After, like the, the moto list that started popping up, and they had like the most random assortment of creatures. And I was thinking like, man, I really need to diversify. Oh, I guess, it, no, it doesn't even have to be different creatures. It could just be five creatures total. But like, if they're legends, then you want separate ones, right? So like, you kind of do want to diversify a little bit. But like, yeah, Hostage Taker is just like another one that you can throw in the mix. That's a, just a very solid reanimate, right? Yeah, I like that. And when you get your creature count high enough, maybe a, a one of these, you know, it's very easy to line up some pretty game-breaking plays with with that card just by playing Magic, right? Like, you, even if you only get four guys, say, like, you get your 
your own hostage taker, a champion of which you discarded, maybe two champion of wits because they tend to find their way to their graveyard, and your opponent's Ripjaw Raptor. Well, how do you lose that game ever? Like, that's an insane swing. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe that card is playable. I could see that being a one-of in the reanimator deck and, and being very happy about it. You know, seven's a huge mana cost, but I think in the context of that game, most of the time the text is just going to be you win the game. Yeah, I might want two. I don't know. This is a $3 mythic, too. <laughs> I might go ham. Interesting. Are we are we giving out hot MTG finance tips no, right now? No, no, don't don't buy it because it might be Cause, bad. But because we could buy it all, and they'll be up to three fifty next week without a doubt. And we're getting those quarters again, man. One quarter at a time. We're raising our way up. Well, no, because I would have to sell them for three fifty, which is, uh, seems that's right. Likely. We discussed that too. We don't we don't sell things. Oh, I don't sell things ever, so it's not going to work. Yeah, I I inherited the remains of Michael Major's <laughs> magic card collection. You just like here, take these. I don't want them, and handed me like a backpack full of uh, bygone bishops. <laughs> I, I have well over a hundred of them. If anyone wants them, corner of the market. It's a bygone bishop buyout. Oh yeah, well the the buyout happened like a year ago. Mm. He he just never sold them. Just didn't cash in. He probably had a chance to as well. Oh, he had several chances. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> but never did. So. Yeah, give me your number six. My number six, which is a card that I think I very much misevaluated the first time around, is Tishana, Voice of Thunder. Let me tell you when this card clicked for me. I don't, I don't know why this is, but I read this card. I was like, oh, that's a neat effect. That could be good. Then I stopped and thought, and what would my reaction have been if you had told me there was a Regal Force reprint? And I would have been like, Regal Force is busted. They really reprinted that? I'm sure there's going to be a deck you can build around that. And I'm like, wait a second, they did reprint that card, just a better version of it, in a format that has things like Warlord Virtuoso. And Tishana doesn't care about the color of your creatures anymore, you're just drawing cards for all of them. Oh yeah. I think this card could be broken, like Regal Force was kind of broken. I think this card could very much enable archetypes on its own, and... Going back to my last card, Growing Rights, there's probably some combination of these two cards. The Growing Rights both finds your Tishana and, you know, supercharges your mana so you're able to cast it. There's something here. And I don't have the list right yet. You know, my friend sent me some list with white as the the primary color, and I think it was just splashing the blue for Tishana. That seems interesting, like kind of a white-green token-y type thing. But I, I think the way it's going to play out is that Warlord Virtuoso is going to be the key piece of this. And also, I can see this card just seeing some play in Teamer. I, I don't think like the default version of Teamer necessarily wants a large number of these, but you could kind of see this being the techie card that Teamer plays one week. Like when you go to like Scarab God's Prominence in the deck, or the fact that Sky Sovereign was a main deck inclusion at one point. This kind of fills those same roles where if the meta lines up in a certain way, Tashana will be the best possible top end you could play in Teamer. Um, and just kind of like break mirrors wide open or, or whatever deck is, you know, wearing the target at that point in time, Tishana might be the best possible answer for Teamer. But I like it more as, as a standalone card and a card that can very much do broken things and kind of forge its own archetype. Yeah, that's legit. I, I think I saw this on Reddit somewhere, but SRAM's expertise into growing rights is pretty nice. Yes, it is. That's a nice combination. You get to circumvent like the bad deal for growing rights, uh, like the upfront three mana cost. I think is fairly prohibitive. Like standard is not necessarily fast, but it's like you need to be interacting and doing stuff in the early turns. So yeah, if if you're talking about white, I'm not sure what cards you had, but like Oketra's Monument is another one that I don't know how well it works with like Tashana because the mana seems rough, but it's certainly good at growing rights. Yeah, the the list my friend sent me was. Um... It had 
Legion's Landing as a token generator. It had, what's the green one drop? I believe it was from Amonkhet, where you can like double the number of tokens you have in play. Oh, sure. It starts, it starts with an O. It's a legendary creature. It's like Oshire or something, but yeah. Something like that. O- he had that card in there. I, I think his list was very rough, but it was easy to see kind of like the snowballs that this deck could potentially present. This version of this draw a card for each creature you control effect might be the most powerful ever. Like there's always been, it's been non-token creature or only green creatures. This is just everything. So you talk about things like Saram's expertise, you're drawing three cards off that investment. There's a lot of of powerful paths to take with this card. Uh, Finding the right one will be difficult, but I think you're getting paid on it. This is another card that's only $4 right now. Yeah. This card could be a format definer. It wouldn't surprise me at all if we look back at the set and just be like, wow, this card was completely broken. Going back to the counter magic in the format, it's changed a little bit. There are some other options out there right now, but negate was kind of the key piece of counter magic that you had to worry about when you were playing expensive spells. Well, this has the benefit of being an expensive creature that your deck is based around. So you dodge the negates out of week one teamer sideboards. I don't know, man. There's something here with this card. Yeah, it's just how do you get to seven? And especially like in post-board games, how do you get to seven with having a board when basically everyone has like sweltering suns or whatever? There are some hoops to jump through for sure. Like it, if it's not growing rights, then what is the other way that you're getting to seven? Yeah, well, you know, Teamer does have some acceleration in Conduit, Servant of the Conduit. There's there's other two mana ramp guys that you could be playing. I don't know. I don't I don't know what the right way to do it is right now. I just know that this effect is broken. Like we've seen it be broken before. And not only in, during Regal's Forces time in both standard and modern and old extended where it was a dominant card in, in all of those contexts. But there's been a lot of times since then where I've just been like, oh, if there was just some kind of regal force effect in the format, this deck would be absolutely broken. The, the Kirkland um, Right deck would have loved this. Yeah, yeah. There's There's been a bunch of decks that would have loved this card over the last few years of Magic. And now this card is here, and I think it would be very foolish not to take advantage of it. And I don't really see anyone brewing around it right now. I think the fact that it is two colors and has the word Merfolk on it have thrown people off its scent. Yeah, I agree that Merfolk is potentially a red herring for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly threw me off, and I had to realize that this was a better Regal Force. Like, I had to think of an old card, which is worse in most contexts. Certainly, once you have easy access to blue, it's clearly worse to realize that this was the card that was way too low down on my power rankings, and and you don't have it on your top 10. I, I don't know if you disagree with what I'm saying, or it's just a card that maybe you've misevaluated as well, but I, I think this has a lot of potential. I thought Growing Rights had some issues from the few games that I played and mm-hmm. specifically in in also the deck that I played. But like, obviously, there are multiple homes for Growing Rights. But yeah, it's like maybe maybe the Merfolk thing tricked me. Maybe the mana cost seemed too prohibitive or whatever. But like, yeah, that's it's just another one of those things where it's like I need to look past that stuff and figure out how to make it happen. So, yeah, now I'm pretty excited about actually brewing with this card outside of the shell that I had it in. Yeah, I, I think it does a lot. I think it's a very powerful card. All right, tight. Number six for me is Lightning Strike. No debate here. Great great card. It's just a question of where this was going to be on your list. On yeah. mine, it's going to be higher, but yeah. uh, six seems like a fine spot for it. Boring. All right. Yeah, uh, boring card. Number five for you is Search for Ascanta. Number five for me is a card that you don't have. Big mistake, buddy. Merfolk Branchwalker. All right. Tell me why this is a mistake. Yeah. Have you read the card? It, it looks good. A little unassuming on its face, I think. I don't know. I mean, I guess it just, it didn't seem like it did enough for me. 
I guess the three-two side seems pretty bad, but I guess it's three-two with a scry, right? So that's not the right way to look at it. Yeah. So the the actual text is one G three-two scry one or silver gill adept. Okay, that sounds a little better now that you put it that way. Yeah, dude, this card is sick. Yeah. I'm coming around. Maybe I was wrong on this one. I guess. Did the Merfolk thing trick me again? I honestly think I might have just been like, oh, there's no good Merfolk in this set. Why am I bothering with Merfolk? You're just not supposed to play them as Merfolk. They're just guys who are really good. Check this out. So I I did not quite get off or get on to Shauna, I guess, because of the Merfolk thing and like the deck that I was building it in. But then I started looking at Grim Captain's Call, which is this 2B sorcery, uh, return a pirate from your graveyard to your hand, then do the same for Vampire, Dinosaur, and Merfolk. And I just tried to mm. uh, build a deck with all of them. How'd that go? I, I don't know. It looks tight. It's just like Branch Walker, uh, Ripjaw Raptor, Ruin Raider, you know, just uh, Hostage Taker. It's just like good Sultai stuff. How much were you, were you ever getting paid on Grim Captain's Call to like a ridiculous... Did you ever get four guys back? Uh, well, you can play like Champion of Wits and Charter Course and stuff. So like you can, this is, this is one of the decks that, uh, so like my article this week is basically like the, the fun stuff from Ixalan, just like the brews. Mm. So I, I just started like, you know, working on decks for that. So this is not a deck that I've actually built and played games with yet, unfortunately. Okay. So you just kind of pick and choose the best of all these worlds and, and you end up with a super powerful draw spell in the late game. That's interesting. I mean, certainly each of these types has a, a card which, like, just on its face, standing alone, is one of the most powerful cards in the set. Right. So I don't know if, if 2B is uh, prohibitive enough cost for this sort of effect. Like, it, it's kind of similar to Growing Rights, right? Where it's just like, I don't want to, like, you know, play a thing, have it get killed, play, like, a chart of course or something, and then, like, Grim Captain's Call for Infinite. Like, I don't want to do that on turn three. So I think I can only play, like, two of these, but... Like, yeah. how bad is my deck if, if if it's all just, like, Branch Walkers, Hostage Takers, and Ripjaw Raptors, and Ruin Raiders and stuff? Like, the deck seems good, and, like, all the creatures give you value. The, the, the creatures you just listed are among... They're, they're all on my... All on our top ten list, so I, I think it's totally viable. I, I, I do see Grim Captain's Call. I thought it might be, like, the limited bomb that people sleep on. Yeah. But I bet there's a, a deck out there that wants a one of Grim Captain's Call, a, a standard deck, and is getting paid on it. Yeah, and if nothing else, this is an excellent sideboard card, right? Mm-hmm. I do think that it's, it's one of those cards that might seem more powerful than it is because, like, you cast it and then still just die to their Glorybringer or whatever, but... Yeah, Glorybringer is going to be the fun police quite often, uh, and so is Hazaret. There, there's a couple of fun police out there. There's also a lot of powerful things we can be doing to, to make it past those cards. I guess Branch Walker starts the game pretty early, fixing your draws. I mean, I guess what I want to see is... Are there good trades available for Merfolk Branchwalker? Is his three power mode taking care of some three drops? That's where he becomes really powerful. If he's just kind of like sitting on the ground doing nothing, obviously you become much less interested. But I don't know. We'll, we'll see what that body does in the context of the format. Attack him. Who cares? Yeah, I, I'm just saying like you're not attacking into the Ripjaw Raptor ever. So you, you have to see what board presence is going to look like, how often this guy's actually able to attack when he's making profitable blocks. Because he doesn't have a lot of well, great blocks against the red deck. Think think about Rogue Refiner. Like, this is as close to Rogue Refiner as you get for two mana. Yeah. I, I mean, it, the, a lot of the stats, stats are similar. You're drawing cards. You're getting three twos, potentially. I, I could be way off base on this card. I think I may have slept on it. it when you actually unpack the abilities, look past the fact there's not other good Merfolk, this card seems like it's going to do a lot. Yeah, this card is dope. I, again, like, where where does this go? Like, who cares? 
You know? Yeah, it is, figure it out. It is a good card. If there are green decks, like, yeah, the energy decks, they have Servant of the Conduit, Long Tusk Cub, whatever. Like, the green decks are, they have no shortage of, of good drops on any part of the curve, right? But, like, this card is good enough. Like, this card hangs with all of those cards. All right. Uh, number four for you is Ruin Raider. Yeah, a card I've been very high on pretty much as soon as it was spoiled. I just think that he will be the key to every black aggressive deck, be that Mardu vehicles or black-white vehicles or red-black artifact aggro, even mono-black. Mono-black has a lot of one-drops right now. There's three one-drops in black that can effectively attack for two, which is pretty big game. And and Ruin Raider loves one-drops. He loves drawing off those guys and, and decks that love to attack a lot. So I, I, he's the face of black aggro, unquestionably. Does he make black aggro good enough to be top tier? Maybe. Maybe. He's really powerful. The fact that you get his ability the turn he comes into play, you don't have to wait till your next upkeep. That's what a deck like mono black aggro needs to survive. I think that, you know, down the road when there's more pirate synergies, I don't want to go all in on pirates in my aggressive decks quite yet. But I, I do think if there's a blue black disruptive pirates deck, this this guy's at home there too. I mean, his his true calling is the black aggressive decks. But he could find some homes in, in the blue-black tempo decks as well. So just a solid card, solid rate. It's going to see a lot of play. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I have it a little bit higher on on my list uh, now that I have actually read the card and know what it does. When mm, uh, because, That does help. Yeah, before I thought it was just a one-shot. And it's like, yeah, okay, this card's like good. It's, it's going to see play, right? But it's just like, oh, man, this card is sick. And you're talking about mono-black aggro. It's like that deck gets Glint Sleeve Siphoner and this thing. And mm-hmm. the black green decks could also potentially have that package. Like I'm way more interested in playing those cards with one drops, like you noted. So black green loading up on these things, I think is kind of out for me. I think it's like a solid two of in that deck probably, but you need your cards to be able to play defense a lot of the time. And there are times when this thing is not going to be able to do that. But yeah, in just having a thing that sits around drawing you cards in a blue black disruptive deck where again, like your card quality on average is going to be lower than your opponents. Like you're going to need multiple cards to beat them. And this is the thing that keeps the gas pumping, you know? So yes, mono, mono black. I'm pretty excited about. Yeah. This is the glue. This is the glue for all, all those archetypes. Like you said, your card quality is worse. You're going to need a lot more of them. This is going to get you a lot more of them. It's what makes a deck like mono black possible. Uh, I'm excited to play some games with Mono Black. It would not surprise me if that deck is very, very good. Yeah, it's just like, what removal do you play? Like, obviously you want uh, Walk the Plank. Do you, like, go all the way up to Vraska's Contempt? Or is it, like, Never Return? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't have the answer to that yet. I'm very incentivized to keep my curve super low. I kind of want to run a, a light land count if I can get away with it. So I hope to not have to play things like Vraska's Contempt, but... You know, the format may dictate it. Never return and hurts with this thing, too. It does. You take you take seven. Yeah, worth it. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> it's worth it. I'm probably not starting never to return, to be honest with you. That seems like an impossibility if I'm playing Rune Raider in my deck. I'll, I'll um, start with two. You're a brave man. I, I, I will, I will drip, have that seven drop on top of my deck every single time. It won't even be like a turn later. It'll be on the spot, take seven from my Rune Raider every time I play it. Cool. So. Then at least you know where the game's going to go, you know? That's true. I can plan for that, but uh, <laughs> I'd rather not is my point. Sure. I will start with a very low curve, very low land count, and you get to play the the four if near dead lands package. You can probably play more deserts if you want to, kind of like Mono Red does. You you get the damage desert. I mean, those those one points add up. 
Uh, I guess it depends if you have Walk the Plank. You you might have to back away from that if you're all in on Walk the Plank. And yeah. if you have things like Gifted Aetherborn. But we'll see how the exact numbers break out. But you're getting some value out of your mana base too, which is always nice. Yep. Oh, you also have like a lot of disruption. Like there's Harsh Scrutiny and Duress. Yeah, especially Duress. I'm very excited about these decks having access to Duress. Yep. So Duress being able to like kind of fill the gap on your curve much, much better than Transgress the Mind did. Like... You know, Duress is, like, the answer to the sweepers generally. Now you get to, like, actually play your Disruption card and continue developing your board, which is huge. Yeah, you're probably able to pretty effectively manage sweepers in the post-board games after you bring in Duress. And you could even bring in the Flying Pirate as well as as your plan to kind of negate that aspect of their game plan. And I I think that's a fine approach. I think that'll be very good. Yeah, Kite Sail, Freebooter... uh, just kind of narrowly missed my list because I was sort of kind of grouping in the tribes together just because otherwise I would need like a top 50 list probably. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. Black aggro. All right. I gotta, I gotta build that one. Okay. So you had Ruin Raider at four. I have chart a course at four. You had lightning strike at three. I had Ruin Raider at three. You mm-hmm. have big Papa carnage tyrant at number two. How is this not on your list? I don't I don't understand. I, I think you're you're okay, so spoiler, your top two cards are dinosaurs. Yes. So you put them together. Your yeah, your your tyrant is not your top dino, which I agree with, and I would I would have tyrant as my third dino, but it, it's it's there. It's it's in there in spirit with, with my ripjaw raptor, for sure. Okay, as as long as you acknowledge I mean I I think this card Again, on it, on its face is a little unassuming. It's just a vanilla creature. I guess it's not vanilla. But it's, it's just a guy. It doesn't have any comes into play abilities. But obviously, it protects itself to the nth degree. Uh, uncounterable. It just changes the way that decks are going to have to approach matchups. And we talked about blue-black control a little bit earlier. What is blue-black control going to do against this card? Like, it may single-handedly invalidate that strategy or force them to play some really weird stuff. Trial of ambition, baby. There you go. I, I, you may be forced to do things like that. Yeheni's expertise into Trial of Ambition. Or Bantu's Last Reckoning, oh, which I gross. have not been pleased with that card at all. Yeah, pass, but pass. You, you, here's my point about this card and why it's this high on my list. You need to think about it. You can't not have a plan to beat Carnage Tyrant in post-board games as a control deck because you can't win those games. Yeah. Carnage Tyrant will beat you every single time. And that's why I think he's deserving of a spot this high on the list. As he just, Even if he's not seen main deck play and tons of just you know dinosaur decks playing this guy main, he still forces you to make concessions in deck building as a blue base control deck. And that's important to consider. It's kind of subtly warping the format. And in some ways, it could just directly warm the warp the format. It might not be subtle at all. It might just be the, the games are all about Carnage Tyrant and getting on board first with your Carnage Tyrant. I could totally see that happening. One of the most powerful just guys we've ever seen. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to register Scaled Behemoth for Constructed. Yeah, that's where things are, but he's <laughs> he's going to he's going to make his presence felt. It's there's so many good things around him. It's Drover the Mighty, uh Autopec, Huntmaster, even like Regisaur Alpha. Like you have two different ways to give it haste, which I think is just incredible. So I started started with this dino deck, played probably this deck the most and have been tuning it a reasonable amount and uh I started just like kind of low, at least as far as, you know, as low as dinos go, just like capping out at five mana things. And then it was like, ah, I need some more late game stuff. So I added some Gashas because there were instances where you could like play a Ballista, double ramp with it off of Ranging Raptor and then untap and play like another huge Ballista. You just end up with a ton of mana. 
So mm. I was like, oh, I'll play like some Gashoths. You know, you have commune with dinosaurs to search for them and like Ripjaw Raptors and stuff. Like you go through a reasonable amount of cards every game. So the real secret was also adding two Carnage Tyrants. And now it's just like, oh man, this deck just like feels good at all points in the game. Nice, nice. Uh, you've been happy with Ranging Raptors. I notice when you see other people's dinosaur builds, they tend to leave that card out. Uh, it depends what they're trying to do, but I think it's like the key card in the deck. That was my interpretation when I saw the card. I was like, oh, this is the piece we were missing. So Yep. No, exactly. Like, Riptrail Raptor is good, and Riptrail Raptor is going to be a four of in a lot of decks, uh, including the dinosaur decks. But Ranging Raptor, maybe if you're stopping at five, but I don't see any real reason to stop at five, especially when you have, like, Ryle and Savage Stomp and even Walking Ballista for, like, early game Enrage Enablers. Like, mm-hmm. you're going to want something to actually trigger off that. It can't just all be Ripjaw Raptor, you know? I, I get it. I, I think that's an important card to the deck. We'll have to see if other people agree with us come week one or if that's a card that kind of falls by the wayside. Um, I, I haven't played any Dino games. I kind of wasted all my game time this past week on bad decks that didn't quite pan out. That's okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with it. We'll, we'll get around to getting the Dino games in. You know, once things get on Moto, it's a lot easier for me to get some games in. Yeah, so. dude, you want a Dino deck? I got you. Nice. Ronus is the card for the mirror. Unsurprised. Uh, Trample seems very good on these huge dinosaurs. And, you know, we're talking about all the mana this deck can generate. Well, there's a good outlet for it. Dump it into Ronus. Yeah. And also just it on defense is incredibly difficult to beat. Because, like, mm. you're going to have, like, two or three big dinosaurs, right? And it's just going to, like, eat one every time. Like, you need a way to get through to the point where I was considering playing the Boros Planeswalker. Wow. Huatli? Watley? That's quite a dramatic step. I guess that's also good advice for our, our teamer heads out there. Play Ronus week one. Yeah. Uh, again, like, yeah, Ronus is super scary. I mean, Whirler Virtuosos, whatever. I can I can trample through a lot of that stuff. Like, Ryle gives your thing trample. Gishoth just naturally has trample. Uh, Carnage Tyrant too? Yes. Yeah. So it, it's pretty easy to get over, like, dinky blockers, you know? It's like the real uh, travesty is when they have Ronus, which has Death Touch, remember, on defense mm-hmm. and, like, alongside a Bristling Hydra or something that you can't necessarily kill. Yeah, it seems like it would be very strong against these dinosaur decks. Now you've you've both figured out the dinosaur deck and given away the way to the way to beat it in the same breath, basically. So yeah, whatever. I mean, I'll, I'll have a way around Ronus that, oh, yeah, yeah. that isn't just like super narrow. So I, I think Quali is close enough to being playable that it's like, if I have to play like one main, one board or something, I'm not super opposed. Yeah. That card seems like it would be pretty good against mono red too. I think the life gain will be relevant and forcing them to kind of waste attacks on it. will probably win you a lot of games, uh, games where you curve like Ripjaw into Watley are, are probably pretty tough for mono red to win. Yeah. Maybe you gain 10 life, but uh, I, I think that's still probably worth it. If it gives you time to like get to Carnage Tyrant or Gashoth. But yeah, man, them, them falters, those falters are real. I'm sure there's probably a better card, but who knows? No, I, I thought that card was like, oh, well, I'm not going to say okay. I, I thought it was pretty bad as far as Planeswalkers go, but I could also see a place for it at the same time. I just think it's very narrow, basically. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, if if the like the plus and the life gain were swapped, like I'd probably be all about it. But as is, if like, even with like Lightning Strike around, right? It's like, you don't want to necessarily play this and then just like make a 3-3. Like that's what you ideally want to do with your Planeswalker. Uh, mm-hmm. just solidify your board position, maybe be able to protect it a little bit. But like... I think you're going to have to plus two this thing uh, more often than you would want. Which as long as you build your deck around that, you're, you're probably fine with in most cases. Yeah, 
And I'm not going to jam four. I don't think that that's necessarily right. I think that it and Regisaur Alpha and even Glorybringer just compete for the same amount of space. Yeah. So it's tough. Yeah, a lot of powerful five drops right now. Oh, yeah. Maybe double splash the Scarab God in this dino deck because that card is good against dinos. Love it. More Scarab God all over the place. All right. So you have Tyrant at two. Uh, I have Ripjaw Raptor at two. And my ranking is Ripjaw Raptor, uh, Ranging Raptor, then Carnage Tyrant. Then Gashoth, probably. But there's also things like Savage Stomp, which I think are hugely impactful. But that's contextual, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically, Dinos is, is the end takeaway. Um, again, I saw people low on the deck this week. Uh, I don't think that's the right stance to take right now. The right stance is, how can I make this deck good? Because these cards are too powerful not to ultimately find a place in the format. What What articles are you reading or, like, Facebooks are you, like, going through? I don't know. I, it was it was a lot of my Twitter feed. Uh, Jacob Wilson wrote a very like pessimistic article oh, this yeah, week where it's just like none of this stuff is good. You can you can take whatever approach to the format you want. Obviously, these are players who who find a way to succeed. I just don't think this is the best approach for me to take to a format. I'd rather explore it more deeply than be like everything's bad, nothing's going to work. Right. You have Ripjaw Raptor at one. I have Dual Lands. I hate this answer because it's correct, but it's it's such a bad answer. Nobody wants to hear us talk about these M10 dual lands. Like, you're 100% right, but it's just a crappy answer anyway. I, I just want to, like, wax nostalgic a little bit. This is this is actually a fine time to bring up the Patreon, too. So, like, we have this Patreon, patreon.com slash thegamepodcast, where you can go to help support us. And some of the rewards were I, I give away, like, some signed cards that mean a lot to me. And some of the cards that I recently sent out were my playset of Glacial Fortresses from, like, my Cawblade and Delver days. Oh, I love those decks. Yeah, and I, I love those lands. Dude, they're so much better than Cinderglade, unless you're, like, fetching for them. You know, obviously, that's, oh, that's yeah. a busted interaction. But, like, they they ETB untapped with the the cycling dual lands, too. It's just, like, I'm, I'm so happy that they're back. I do feel like our mana bases are a little lacking, it's, it's like, pretty tough to build three-color decks. You know, you just kind of have to, like, throw in, like, three of this dual land and three of this dual land. It, like, doesn't feel cohesive. It doesn't feel good. Yeah, you're hyper-reliant on things like Attune or maybe, to a lesser extent, Commune with Dinosaurs. Um, it's tough to just, like, raw dog your three-color mana base. You really need some support for it. Um, but I totally agree. These are great dual lands, especially with the cycling lands around. Uh, so much better than the Battlelands, which I, I had just grown to hate. Like, outside of the fetching interaction, I hated the Battlelands so much to the point where I was usually trimming a few wherever I felt like it was possible in my three-color mana bases. So, very excited to have the M10 duels back. As I said, this is 100% the correct answer. It's just a boring answer and not the one I wanted to give. It so. is boring as hell. Uh, Unclaimed Territory also gets a little shout-out. Not Unknown Shores, though. Yeah, no unknown shores, shores in our decks. Unclaimed territory. We'll find a home in, in tribal decks. Things like the black-white vampire deck, I think, are very reliant on that card to present a functional mana base. I'm not pleased about it, but I do recognize that it's an important card for those decks. Mono-white vampires, dog. Maybe. Maybe that's the way to go. I, I Like I said, I am much higher on vampires. Some people showed me some cards. We had some new cards spoiled to the point where I now want to spend some time exploring them where I was just like, oh, vampires are a total miss. I don't feel that way anymore. There's something there. Yeah. I think we're both pretty high on mostly the same amounts of cards. And I'm kind of working on this black green angle while you're working on going big with Tashana, which I think is pretty reasonable. I think that kind of defines us pretty well. Yeah. And lately it certainly has. I've been looking for these kind of just 
huge strategies. Speaking of that, I, I'm sure I will t- turn my attention. Everyone's like, where's your ramp deck? I'm like, dude, it's coming. Give me some time. I, I don't have anything figured out with ramp yet. As I said, I wasted some time on, on bad decks and a lot of that was ramping into uh, Sunbird's Invocation. I don't know if that strategy is quite there yet, but we'll figure out something for the ramp heads out there and I'll, I'll work on some more huge decks for everyone. Dude, if you got a Sunbird list, ship it because I was trying to build one. It was tough. Yeah, it is tough. The The card is just like, you see the potential, right? You see how it snowballs so quickly. And if you ever are able to like get two on board, the game's over. But man, playing a six drop that just does stone nothing is a tough pill to swallow. Especially in post-board games where decks have access to negate. It's just like, what am I doing with this card in my deck? And I, and I think um, people are really high on Spell Pierce, which we should maybe talk about since it didn't make either of our lists. But... That, that's another thing where you're just like six mana blank enchantment and they're like carnage tyrant or like they just spell pierce you or something. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that neither one of us chose to include spell pierce. I I guess like there's potential for us to be made fools with, with that kind of look. It, it's certainly going to serve as a check on the format, right? Like you unquestionably, if the need arises for spell pierce, it will be there. But I just think that the way the format is shaping in the early days and kind of where I see it going, it's very creature-centric and not really based around these these huge spells. And, and that's part of the problem with Sunbird's Invocation is that there are very easy foils for it out there to look at. Maybe it's the right deck to kind of like snipe a tournament, but uh, as a, a long-term pillar of the metagame, it's going to be very difficult. Agreed. Uh, I, I agree with you on the creature-centric nature of the format also. There are things like planeswalkers and heart of kirin and occasionally like some removal spell like but for the most part i would rather just have like blossoming defense like that sort of card yeah and there's like the one drop blue pirate yeah it's it's redundant with spell pierce yep yeah exactly so i don't know i i think the card is is good like spell pierce is awesome it is a great card but i'm not sure that it's like oh i play three of these in my main deck and i'm very happy about it i just don't necessarily think that we live in that world and if it comes to a point where we do live in that world, like people are boneyard parlaying and sunbird invocationing, then by all means, bell pierce the hell out of someone. Yep, it'll it'll be there. Don't worry. Just because we left it off this list doesn't mean we won't pick it up if uh, the situation requires. But it's not it's not the place to start for the format. Yeah, like I said, could have made a top fifty list probably. So yeah, tons of interesting cards, and you know all these support cards for all these strategies are out there too, which certainly deserve mention. So. Yeah, keep exploring. Keep me posted. I, I want to know everything you find because I think this is going to be a really good standard and I'm excited to see what starts coming out of, you know, the early days of the format. Word. I am, I'm going to make an attempt to be a little bit more active in the Discord, which is uh, one of the rewards for the Patreon. And I know that I've been kind of slacking in that regard, but yeah, I got a bunch of deck lists that I want to post somewhere and like maybe get people's feedback on. So that'd be a good place to do that. Yeah, I think that's where I'm going to dump my deck list as well. Uh, so for people out there who are, you know, kind of new to the Patreon, make sure you set up your your Discord account. It's a really good community, too. There's a lot of really great guys over there. It is. A lot of good discussion goes on in the Discord. And like I said, I'm going to dump all my deck lists in there this week. As soon as Moto pops up, I, li- I like to build decks on Moto. It's a little cleaner for me. Oh, yeah. So uh, I definitely once like. once I have that, I'll dump them. I definitely like just being able to snipping tool and drop them in. Yep. It's easy. Yep, that's my method. And I think Wednesday we should have... So tomorrow, uh, we're recording this on a Tuesday. We'll have it up on Wednesday to, to dump all that stuff out there. Is is the set up tomorrow? That's usually how it works, is that with the, the downtime before release, which I believe is 
this one, um, they upload all the cards, and you can't you can't get them yet. Like, there's no access to them, but you can deck build. You just set your quantity uh, to zero. Oh, sure. Okay, and then the set actually drops on Monday or something. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Gotcha. So uh, I will be feverishly building decks over the next few days. Cool. No, that sounds good. I might do the same. All right, man. Uh, this is a good one. We went kind of long, but I hope people enjoyed it. Agreed. I think we covered a lot about the format. I hope uh, we inspired people to build lots of decks and, you know, ship your own decks in the Discord. I, I would love to see what our our listeners are working yes, on as well. Please do. That's that's all I ever need is just more more people thinking in like ways that I am not thinking. Right. Like I just mm. need more information and then I can figure things out. And like I have I have worlds coming up, which is like another point that we should make where uh, this is going to be the last episode for a couple weeks because I will be gone testing for that. Yep. Don't miss us too much, though, because I'm sure when we come back, we'll have so much information. We'll have worlds to talk about. Um, we're, we're just loading up. We're, we're storing all this information and, and great theorizing, and we're going to dump it all in the next episode, and it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, and then the week after Worlds is U.S. Nationals, so yep. exciting stuff. Yep, and I'll be there at U.S. Nationals. Are you going to Nationals? Hell yeah. Yep, I booked my plane ticket today. I will be there. I'm very excited. Tight. That's game.